Thank you, Damon, and be in prayer for Damon and Leah as they are literally any day going to be welcoming uh, a new addition to their family, their first grandchild, and so uh, just uh, please be in prayer for them. I'm thankful for, for Damon and, and Leah and their ministry to our youth, and one of the things that's been interesting that, is, uh, that has happened is that uh, as, we, um, as we were looking at what to preach on next, we were doing the Church 101 series, and the elders uh, kind of unanimously came out and said, hey, you know, why don't we look at First Peter? Um, the only question I had was that I didn't want to step on Damon's toes because they, uh, they were looking at First Peter and the youth, and we just thought what a wonderful thing that God would do among us as the youth uh, on uh, Sunday evenings, Sunday mornings, I'm sorry, Sunday mornings now are being taught First Peter, uh, that we come together as a body and do that as well. And I've got this bigger vision as parents and grandparents and friends of youth that as we're all studying the same book together of what God might be doing to kind of... Uh, uh, join our hearts together. I don't know if you looked at the, um, I, I don't know how many of you look at the sermon title. I am way less creative than Gary. Um, uh, th- th- this week, it, I do know some of you look at the sermon title because some of you were trying to figure out what in the world are you talking about this week? And you'll see in a minute. <laughs> you'll see in a minute. Um, uh, but, and it has to do with what Damon does, Damon and Leah and their, their ministry downstairs. Now, I have just, my heart is just full um, as I have been studying and looking at this book. Um, I am just excited about what God through His Word and through the power of His Spirit might do in and among us as we, as we look at this book, as we plow together through this. Um, I was somewhat determined, I was telling John Reniger before the service, I was somewhat determined, hey, you know, I'm going to... I, you know, we're going to take larger chunks and get further ahead, and we're going to get through kind of two verses today. <laughs> I, I am trying to do better, but uh, I, I just, it, it's so rich. So as we look, today's going to be kind of introductory. We are going to get into who wrote the book and who was Peter writing it to. And one of the things that I hope you see, one of the things that's vital for us to see is that this book, this letter was written to a group of people who were defined as aliens. Who were defined as people who were not at home in the culture in which they were living. That their faith, their ethnicity, their goals, and their aims were at odds with the society around them. And as we look at this book, I think one of the things that will come about as we study this together is that I think the Lord is going to help us see how we are supposed to function as Christ's followers in a culture that is pushing and pulling us away from the foundations of our faith. And that in many ways, in many ways, that we will be able to relate as sojourners, as aliens, as people who are not at home in the culture around us, and that we will be strengthened by that, and that my hope and prayer is that one of the things that happens as we read this book is that 
we become encouraged as the people of God that our hope, our standing, and our foundation are not contingent upon the society around us. Are not contingent upon the the, the winds and the waves of cultural pressures or political systems, but that as we look and dig into this book, that we are really encouraged and learn how to live as a people who are not yet home. So the key today that you're going to see is uh, awareness that Peter is going, as we read these first two verses, I hope that you see what is meant here as Peter is writing, that he is reminding these people of who they are. That they are not just a a random, throwaway, scattered group of people, but they are a people that have been enveloped into a bigger story, the story of God. And that they have been enveloped into a people, the people of God. Because of Christ, we and the people that Peter was writing to in this letter are children of the sovereign king the people of God, that will one day enjoy the promises of God. And as Peter defines his audience as we look in a minute, I hope that we will find comfort and joy and um, clarity on who we are as well. Now, the first thing that I want to dig in and look at as as we look at these verses is that we see Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, there is some debate among critical scholarship of, did Peter really write this? And there are reasons. I'm not going to go into that. And bore, Some of you would love that, but some of you that would bore to tears, put you to sleep faster than you're already dozing into. And so I don't want to do that this morning. But I, I want to say that I think it's pretty evident, and if you, if you want to talk about that more, I'm more than happy to do that. But that Peter, the apostle, wrote this book. And there are important implications to that. And the first thing that I want you to see, one of the important implications of Peter, is that Peter was an apostle of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this meant that as as an apostle, he was inspired, he was an authority, and he was looked at as the head of the, the Christian movement, one of the heads of the Christian movement. It is this Peter who is writing this letter to these people. Also, Peter in order to be an apostle, meant that he was an eyewitness with Jesus. And one of the things that's so sweet when you read this letter is that as you read this letter, Peter doesn't quote Jesus, but you can hear Jesus speaking as Peter writes. It's so huge. It's, it's, it's awesome. In fact, one commentator talks and he used this statement and then uh, read out these, uh, wrote out these uh, four things. But in this book, and he's right, in this book, the life of Jesus and the life of you as a believer are inseparable. That you see that. That the, the life of Jesus, this person of Jesus, and the, the believer, that these two things are inseparable. And the first thing that he says is that Jesus is the object of our faith. And we see this all throughout First Peter. Jesus is the object of our faith. He is the pattern. We're going to see as you read this book and as we study this book that Jesus is the pattern of how we should live. Not only was Jesus, did Jesus just come to die, but Jesus also came and lived a life that we are to emulate. His resurrection 
is our only hope. Because Jesus arose from the dead and rose victorious, we have a hope. We have an inheritance that we'll talk about maybe next week, uh, maybe later, maybe months away, that's imperishable, unfading, kept in heaven for us. We also see His willingness to suffer in this world as a pattern for us as we go throughout this world. So, extremely important that Peter, as an eyewitness and as he was with Jesus, you see it just dripping in this letter that Jesus and our life are just inseparable. The other thing that's important, the third thing here about Peter being the author of this, is that we know a ton about this man Peter, don't we? We know a ton about Peter. We know that Peter was called, he was a fisherman. I read some crazy things about uh, wild speculation about why Jesus would call a fisherman. Everything from because Jesus really wanted to use this fisherman metaphor, so Jesus went looking for a fisherman, uh, to there was this one other thing about the mending of nets, one of the things that the fishermen would have to do after every evening of fishing was that they would stay up late uh, into the next day mending nets, and so there was some kind of other metaphor there. In reality, folks, what I think is clear when we're reading the Gospels and we see the call of Peter is that Peter was an ordinary working man. He worked hard. He was an ordinary guy doing what he was supposed to do to feed his family. And Jesus came and said, follow me. And Peter left that and followed Jesus. He wasn't rich. He wasn't powerful. He wasn't political. He was an ordinary vessel that God would use, that God would use to turn the world upside down. Now, I, I want to briefly sketch a few moments of his life that many of you know about, but I think it's important for us to keep this in mind as the author of this book. Um, you know, Peter, after he was called by Jesus, you know, Peter was kind of led into the inner circle. Various times in the gospel, we see that Jesus took a couple of the apostles aside and certain things happened. There were certain teachings, certain miracles that they saw that nobody else saw. Uh, maybe the one that stands out the most was when Jesus went up and was transfigured in front of uh, some of the disciples. Peter was there. Peter was part of this smaller group. And I think the reason that Jesus did this is that Jesus was preparing this man for the ministry that he would have later on. That Jesus really wanted Peter to see him and who he really was. Think about Peter's confession, where Jesus asked, who do the people say, to thy, say that I am? And they asked, some say this, some say this, some say this. And then Jesus said, Peter, who do you say that I am? Or he asked his disciples, and Peter's the one that spoke up, thou art the Christ. Jesus says, that's right. And upon this confession, I will build my church. And from that moment on, Peter's life was just great and easy sailing, right? I love that the Gospels include this about one of the heroes of the faith. Peter still had lessons to learn. In fact, in, in Mark 8, 31, I'll turn there. You don't have to turn there, but you, you'll remember this account. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly and Peter... Can you imagine this? 
Peter took Jesus aside. Oh, Pete, Jesus. Oh, let's change this message a little bit. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. Later on, when, um, you know, after Jesus had predicted that he would be betrayed and that he would be um, taken away, we see Peter's the one impulsively pulling out the sword and cutting off the ear of the soldier, and Jesus again rebukes him. But we all know, we all know maybe the most intense moment of this impulsive, uh, loyal, Man's man. And Jesus said, Peter, you'll betray me. Before the cock crows three times, you'll deny me. And Peter said, never. And I think what's so fascinating is that it was a young girl. Weren't you with him? No. Weren't you with him? No. Weren't you with him? And cursing. No. I think one of my favorite accounts in the Bible, it just means so much to me because I can relate um, to not being who I should be and not following my Savior like I should. But one of my favorite accounts in the Gospels is where Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, goes and finds Peter and reinstates him. Peter, do you love me? Just a beautiful, beautiful moment. Then you have this, so, so think about this. You have this man who all these things had gone on, and I just mentioned a few, who at one moment we see him running, hiding from a little girl, and then after Pentecost, in Acts 2, filled with the Holy Spirit, we see Peter give this sermon, and this is just amazing to me. In chapter 2, and I just want to read a couple of lines of this sermon, but tell me if you see a timid man here. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him and in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to agony and death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And this man, Peter, would go on boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus in and out of prison, and eventually be killed in Rome. This is the man, this is the man who is writing this book to these people. And in fact, and I just love this thought, as I've been reading 1 Peter over and over again, one of the thoughts that keeps coming to my mind is, remember what I said a little earlier? Peter, do you love me? What did Jesus tell him to do? Feed my sheep. And brothers and sisters, this very word is Peter feeding the sheep of Christ. This is beautiful. This is 
amazing. So as we read this book, I just, again, I just hear Jesus' words to Peter echoing through this page. Feed my sheep. And so I would pray that as we, as we read this book and as we study this book together, that we will take it as such and we will know that we are being fed by God's apostle. Now next, I want you to notice that Peter, in this introduction, uh, he tells us who he is writing to. And we think, I think it's pretty accurate that this book would have been written between 62 and 63 A.D., before um, the great persecution under Nero, uh, when I don't know if you remember this story, but the, the city was burned and Nero blamed the Christians and great persecution broke out. Um, we see this is important because at this point, these people are not facing widespread, hardcore persecution. What they are, what they are under is kind of low-level marginalization and pressure and being pushed. But Peter sees that persecution is coming and he's writing them this letter to encourage them. And the key, as I said earlier, and we're going to look at this through some of the words used, is that his audience here are people who are not at home within the culture or within the society around them. Now, I need some help here. So the words, the title of the sermon was S.C.S., Can I have someone volunteer what that means? How many of you know what that means? Okay. Now, how many of you know what that means? Thank you. The common thread should be that our youth and our youth workers should know what this means. One of the things that that Damon uses a lot of in his teaching is uh, he'll, he'll use these alliterations and and things to try to get it to stick. And it means scattered, chosen, sojourners. Now your translations may use different language here, but this is the word, these are the words that Peter uses to describe his audience. And it's significant as he calls them aliens, and he's, he uses the word scattered. Um, and, and then we see Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And a lot of study has been done on why in the world What's significant about these cities? And I think the reality is is that we have no idea. (laughs) What we know is that these are cities that are in and around modern-day Turkey and that they were... This area was was not evangelized at this time, but what had happened is, is that you had these folks who were fleeing persecution and had gone into these areas. Christians had gone into these areas... And uh, so as they were there, they were aliens. They weren't from around there. They, were, they had been scattered. I think that this, this letter was written to Jews and Gentiles. I think there was a mixture of folks uh, that were there. And, and what's important, and there's a lot of debate on this, is, and you've heard my opinion, um, uh, when we're looking at these words, are these aliens and scattered people, is this a metaphor? Meaning like, for all Christians... Uh, or is this talking about a specific group? And my answer to that is yes. That I think it's both. I think it's clear from reading First Peter that it's both. I do think he's speaking to a group of people in these cities that are literally aliens and scattered. We're going to talk about what that means in a minute. But th- that are literally there. But I also think that there's a wider message 
for us today. And, and I happen to think, if you're just wondering why these cities and why they're named, um, I, I think there are, there, there are maybe two reasons. Some speculate that this was the route that uh, Sylvanus would have taken to distribute this letter, uh, but a lot of effort's been put into that, and it seems a little unlikely. I really think that as Peter was writing and thinking about this area, that this is, this is the way it came to his mind, and he wrote it, that there's no logic behind it necessarily. And I also think that if you were to go and look at this region and the different regions that he names here, it's a very diverse group of people. Mountainous, rural, um, uh, city boys and girls. It's a very diverse group of people, and I think that's important as we uh, will move on in our studies later. Now... um, I think it's, again, I lost myself in my notes. (laughs) So, I want to look at these terms. And and one of the things that you're going to see, and this is where I really want you to, to, if you're using our hearing devices, turn them up. If you're not having to use a hearing device, pay attention and listen. There's some deep meaning here. There there is, it is, is, at least it's mind-blowing for me. I want to look at these I want to look at two words. The first one I want to look at is translated in the NASB as aliens, to those who are aliens. And uh, face value, uh, this word means a temporary resident, or this word would mean uh, somebody who is living in a foreign place or a sojourner. Um, And if you were raised in the South like I was, uh, a, a better translation for this is not from around here. Got it? All right, I knew that would hit home. But what's interesting, it's that this word was used in Old Testament, in the Old Testament times, it was used to describe Israel. And that Israel was oftentimes in their history found not from around here. As they weren't in their homeland. The other word just brings this home. And, and, and in our text, in my text, in the NASB, it says scattered throughout. That word scattered is dispora or of the dispersion. And again, uh, the, the definition here brings us back to Israel. And particularly this word is used when Israel is not in her homeland. That they were dispersed. They were dispersed. These words to these people would have just jumped off the page. They would have understood that when Peter was writing this to them, he wasn't just talking about that you are strangers and you are foreigners in this land. He would have been, they would have understood that he was bringing them into something that was much bigger it would have been bringing into what I've titled, what I've labeled as Old Testament memories. Think Babylon captivity. Think Assyrian captivity away from home. Think, as, as several months ago we went through the book of Daniel, these words would have been used to describe the people of God in Babylon who were dispersed, they were scattered, they were aliens. And I think this is important because as, as you remember the people of God as they were in Babylon and there were all these pressures to fit in, 
to assimilate into the culture, to give up their identity as the people of God. And we see over and over again in the book of Daniel these stories of Daniel and his friends who stood up in the face of the culture. And what did they do? They trusted the promises of God when the culture said, you better bow. And I think that as the recipients of this letter heard these words, heard these words being described um, by Peter, describing them, it would have brought them these memories of God and His faithfulness and that He doesn't abandon His people. And His promises are true and He is the sovereign King. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. And I'm just jumping right ahead in the middle of a section. But look at this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Again, just dripping with Old Testament language. And if that doesn't convince you, something very interesting happens at the end of this book. Look in chapter 5 with me. Look in chapter 5, verse 13. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. We know that Peter was not in Babylon. Mark was not in Babylon. Where were they? They were in Rome. Well, why would Peter say they were in Babylon? He was using it figuratively... Again, bringing home this theme of the people of God in captivity. Peter's in captivity in Rome at this time. He's bringing this whole idea home. When we look back into the Old Testament, there was a time period where Babylon was the center of the world. In this day and time, where is the center of the world? Rome. So Peter is driving home this point. He's driving home this point that you, who are downtrodden, who are fearful, who see the social climate not going in a good direction, be of good courage. You are God's people. You are God's children. The same God that brought His children through the dispersion. The same God that was faithful to His Word. This God is your Father. And He is faithful to you in the midst of these hard and troubling times. You are part of the people of God. You are God's people You are not random. You are not some castaway, forgotten person. Unconnected. You are His and He is faithful and loving and trustworthy. Notice this other word that... um, It's interesting because in in Greek this word kind of floats around these verses and it's because... Uh, in Greek, Greek isn't um, word order. In Greek is different. And in the NASB, 
um, the last phrase in the first verse is, who are chosen. Um, in other translations, um, chosen is put up with aliens or scattered, um, and that's fine. The idea here, again, is that Peter is pressing the point. You who are scattered, you who are aliens, you are chosen. You are part of God's family. Do not despair. Do not despair. Now, I wish I had, um, and this is why I don't know how far we will get next week, but I just want you to see a couple of other things in this text quickly. Look at verse 2. According, there are three prepositional phrases here. The first one is this, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. Now, one of the things that we know, and one of this word foreknowledge, it doesn't simply mean known beforehand in, in the terms of, uh, hey, um, I knew facts about you beforehand. That's not what this word means. We looked at in the book of Romans, we did a more intensive look at this word and the study of this word, and really... That word of known, that knowledge, really carries the connotation of known in an intimate way. The, the, the best uh, wording of that that I like is like a covenant love. A covenant love. And so what he's doing again is he's pressing on these people who are despairing and, and feel out of place. And he are saying, he's saying, you are loved. And do you notice this? Do you notice that it says, blessed be the God and Father, I'm sorry, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit? So, so one of the encouragements here is that the Spirit is working in you, sanctifying you, making you more holy. Again, there is a work going on. You are not forgotten. There is a purpose. He is making you more like Jesus. The Spirit is doing that to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. Again, this idea of sprinkling with His blood is an Old Testament thing that I think goes back to Mount Sinai. But the big thing that I want you to see is this. That Peter is telling them, and Peter doesn't have this language, Trinity, but do you notice what Peter is saying? The full force of the Godhead is at work in and among you. The Father. The Spirit, the Son. Be encouraged. Be of great cheer. And if you're still not convinced, still not convinced, even this last little phrase, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. That Peter, as he is ending this little greeting, uh, the common greeting in the Old Testament, and you all know this would have been what? Shalom. Peace. In the New Testament, what do we see over and over again? Grace. Even in this little ending section, we see Peter saying, grace and peace. The people of God. The fulfillment has happened in Christ Jesus. And you who feel marginalized, you who feel forgotten, you are part of this. Grace and peace to you. Now, I'm going to quickly tell you uh, just a little bit, a tiny overview 
um, of this book. And I think the purpose of this book is to encourage believers to trust God and to be obedient throughout their lives, especially during hardships and, and tribulations. Two verses that I think we could use to summarize this are chapter oh, went over to first John, chapter four, verse 19. Chapter four, verse 19. "Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right." What an encouragement to these people that Paul, that Peter was writing to. And again, again we see in chapter 5, verse 12, a, a, a summary statement. Uh, Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying, that is, the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm firm in it, that he was encouraging these believers to trust God, to stand firm in who God is and in the gospel. Now, a couple of the lessons that I want us to have in mind as we go throughout this book, and I want us to have in mind even this morning as we leave, is this. Our deepest need reveals our deepest belief. And we know that, right? Our deepest need reveals our deepest belief. And so as Peter is writing this letter to these people who are in great need and are feeling pushed and pressured, Peter is writing them to remind them of who God is and who they are in Christ so that what will be revealed as they are pushed, as they are loved, chosen children of God, who are being protected for a future glory. I love this quote. I've used it often. I don't know if I've used it here, but I probably have. Uh, Tozer and a little book called Knowledge of the Holy. It says this in the beginning, something like this. I couldn't find my copy of the book, so... Um, but it goes something like this. What you believe about God at any moment is the most important thing about you. And as, as Peter was writing these folks, Peter knew this. That what they believed about God, how they defined themselves in the relation to God, was the most important thing about them and would lead to how they lived out their life. Our hope is not in us. It's in the work of Christ. Our hope is anchored in what God has and will do for us in Christ Jesus. So what I want us walking away from here this morning asking ourselves is this simple question. Who are you? What is it that you're believing about yourself this morning? If I asked you to define yourself and write it on a piece of paper, or we could have texted it and put it on the screen. <laughs> if you were honest about yourself, would you have defined yourself as a person who's been enveloped in God's big story? A person who can identify with the people of the Old Testament because you've been brought into the family of God? 
Or would our lives, would the way we define ourselves and our lives look more like which political party we affiliate with? What cultural movements we're a part of? What uh, cultural figure we most relate to? What we're going to see in this book is that those things, political parties, cultural figures, can be fairly neutral, but for the believer, for the believer, what has to mark us is that we are aliens and sojourners and we're part of another kingdom. So as we navigate this world, a lot like Daniel, we're going to need some help knowing, hey, when do I go along and when do I stand firm? When do I submit to the authorities above us, as we will read? And when do I kick back? And I think this message is relevant for us. I think for us that we are living in a time that as Christians, it feels like we are people without a home. And so we need to stand firm. We need to stand firm and we need to know how to stand firm. So I'm excited to get into this book with you. So I just want to leave you with this thought. I want you to consider who are you? Who are you? It may be difficult, but it's a good wrestling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this book. I'm so thankful that you took a man like Peter and that you taught him, that you changed his heart, that you made him a new creation. And that he, as he was feeding these sheep close to 2,000 years ago, that God, that we find ourselves feeding from this same word. God, help us to learn who we are. Help us to learn whose we are. God, help us to be able to live our lives in such a way that people will want to know the hope that lies within us. God, I pray you will transform us into your son's likeness through your word and through your spirit. In your name we pray, amen.